more clearly than I could ever speak. He's the master designer, and that is our God, Job 38 and 39. God has spoke, started speaking to Job. I think it would be good if all of us could go through this experience Job has where God speaks to them. Can you imagine? I don't know what voice. I don't think there's a voice on earth that can depict the voice of God out of a whirlwind. It's like, uh, it could decimate the earth if you want. Does it not, the Bible not say that he spoke the world into existence? I believe that's how he did it. He spoke the world into existence. So let's pray and we'll continue. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to gather around your word. Lord, I readily admit that I am nothing and you are everything. May your word be preeminent as we look at this wonderful account of your marvelous design. You are the maker, we are not. And in Job's case, he's, he's seeing you for who you are. Help us to see beyond the suffering. There's far more to Job, the book of Job, than the suffering. That was a, a terrible suffering he went through, yes. But the book of Job is about the awesome God that we serve and how he is so powerful and creative and caring and compassionate simultaneously. So, Lord, you are so wonderful. We worship you. I love you as my Savior. I trust we all can say that. If we can't, we get that settled even this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For taking down notes, we first talked about, first of all, God questions Job regarding what he does not know. And first of all, part one in physical science, do you know the secrets of creation? That was the first seven verses. Do you know the secrets of the creation of the world? Secondly, new material, do you know the boundaries of the sea? Do you know the boundaries of the sea? Eight, nine, ten, and eleven of thirty-eight. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb when I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and the thick darkness of swaddling for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, and but no further. Here shall thy proud ways be stayed. Aren't you glad God is in control? Even of the flood, there was a day, it was only 40 days and 40 nights that it rained, and that was an awful long time, but at least it wasn't 80 days and 80 nights. Aren't you glad it stopped raining? So God says, and this is as far as the water is going to go. And now today, even we have the fact that God controls the, the, the floods, the waters, if you would please. And we're not going to be destroyed by the great M-A-B-A-L in the Hebrew in 30, in thirty eight eleven. No more May balls. There's going to be some catastrophe, but there's not going to be the cataclysmic flood that they had in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and ended in 9 goes no further. So, do you understand the boundaries of the sea? Second, or next, number three, do you understand the nature of the earth? 12, 12 through 18, if you're following along, hast thou commanded, Job, hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. That idea there is, as the world turns, it's like the rotating of a clay cylinder exposing the impressions, if you would, on the seal. And so that the earth turns to the sun, or, or day spring exposes the wicked and their evil deeds, their, their works of night, if you would. So the word turns, a figurative expression. The initiation of God and the rotation. So it is turned as to a clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in search of the depth? Only recently we have found out there's actually springs in, in, in the sea, the bottom of the sea is one of the great scientific mysteries. Some of them have been discovered now, but others still remain undiscovered. And so God's asking Job's questions that we still ponder here in our day and age. 
you would. And then uh, 17, how, have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Can you imagine Job's response? Can you imagine our response? Glad God says, declare if you know that. And we'll say, I am undone. I am, I am without words. I have no answer in, in light of your speaking from a whirlwind. Job is going to find out how great God is. Do you compare that? Do you comprehend next to the nature of light and darkness and sky? Starting at 19. Where is thy way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? A remarkable discovery in modern physics is that light dwells along a way continually traveling at immense speeds. Darkness, on the other hand, dwells in any place where there is no light. Spiritually speaking, can you not see how that could happen in a country where there's no light of the gospel? Darkness dwells and continues to dwell. And, and you have a country that is so bent on North Korea, so bent on worshiping uh, Kim Jong-un and anything regarding the Bible is so uh, persecuted, possibly even killed for having a Bible, etc. And th- th- there's no, the light is, there is some light there, but they, they squelched as much as possible. And people don't understand. So where there is no light, darkness prevails. Verse 20. But thou shouldest take it to thy bound thereof, and thou shouldest know the pass of the house thereof. Knowest thou it because thou wast then born, or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle? Now you well know, even from this morning... We did not park on there very long at all, probably, but there's going to be hail come. The northern confederacy comes in Ezekiel 39, about 22, and hail comes and, and overflowing waters. And matter of fact, in Revelation, the hail is a talent in size, so it, which is 100 pounds. It's going to wreak quite a bit of havoc. Even here in America in 2003, in June 27th, 22nd, there were storms in Nebraska that brought volleyball-sized hailstones. The largest was a whopping 6.5 inches in diameter, and it weighed about 1.33 pounds. So that would do a damage to your car. I'm thinking coming out, like should break your windshield, etc., put a big dent in your, as you well know. And there were even others have been measured. Can you imagine when God lets loose, if you would, on the, the, the armies there that come to invade Israel, except it's going to be a terrible time. But Job, can you do you understand all of these things about, about light and darkness and sky? Fifthly, do you understand about the rains and its effects starting in 25? Do you understand about rains and the effects thereof? Who hath divided the water course for the overflowing of waters or a way for the lightning and thunder to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is, on the wilderness wherein there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth? Hath the rain a father or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Out of those whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven. Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. We just simply take all of these things for granted, it seems. Job speaks more, uh, uh, there's more in the Job regarding references to snow, ice, and cold than any other book in the Bible. Why is that so, do you think? I think there's a logical answer. Post-flood, there was, I believe, an ice age of some type, at least some, some distance, some uh, magnitude, and Job is only about 
hundred years removed, if approximately, from the flood. And so there's all these memories, and the Ice Age probably has not dissipated. You wanted to know what killed the dinosaurs and why there's behemoths discovered in the Ice Age because they, it was post-flood and the Ice Age happened and all these things. God has the answer out of the womb. The unusual picture of a, a snow and ice slowly coming forward as emerging from a womb may well refer again to that ice age that we have experienced. It was not millions and billions of years ago. It is interesting. People write in articles, I just even in the Wall Street Journal, you'll read an article about science, and they just put it blatantly in there about four billion years ago. Did that? How in the world do you know that? There's no proof. There's no. There's no. Where are the books describing people that lived supposedly people came forward just at least two million years ago? Where's the account of that? We have writing from the get-go when God created the earth. Do you know next six do you know about the nature of constellations 31, 32, and 33? Canst thou bind? The sweet influences of Pelides or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season? Or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? What chances do we have of saying we put the stars up there and we're the ones that keep them rotating together? That sweet influences really refers, as Morris says, uh, basically meaning seems to be a cluster. It is known the stars and the constellation anciently known as the seven sisters, although there's more than that with the telescopes we've seen now, that they're bound together gravitationally. How does that work at those seven? How does it work that our earth rotates around the sun? How does all this work? And the planets do their thing every year. The same. How do, just coincidence? You, you have, you have, if you've watched any kind of... Uh, end, of the, end of the earth stories, there's some little, some happens up there and we're nearly disaster and God's superintending all this. That's why we are still here. That's why we're not burnt or frozen. Just a little further the sun away we freeze, just a little closer and we burn. I mean, do you not already get a sunburn? You stay out in the sun too long? Yes. Especially if you don't put on sunblock. I remember we, I was fishing on the, the, the James River. Great day of fishing. But I forgot to put something on my legs, and I had the worst sunburn ever. Oh, my goodness. I had to go to the doctor and have this medicine, put this stuff on there. And it was, it was, it was a bad, bad sunburn. I had a great day fishing, but I had several painful days afterwards. If I had just put on long pants and not had those pants where you can unzip the legs when it gets hot, and I should have left them long. Anyway, man, they're right. But that's burning. But God watches over these things to bind. Only God can bind and release the stars. Job, can you do that? Mankind, can you do that? No, you can only observe what God has already set forth. And Maseroth in 32 is the signs of the zodiac. I believe personally that at creation time, the stars were given a sign to point us to Christ, to, to, to redemption, to the Redeemer. However, they've been hijacked like almost every other thing. And we have now the, the signs of the zodiac. Isaiah, I want to jot down Isaiah 47. Well, let's just read it real briefly. Isaiah 47, 12, talk to us about taking things the wrong direction. 
47, 12, stand now, thou, uh, stand now with thine enchantments and with the multitude of thy sorceries wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. If so be that thou shalt be able to profit, if so be thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit there before it. We are to trust what God can predict the future. We just told that this morning in, in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39. God has this all in plan. All these other things are second rate. They're imitations of the almighty God. So let's put those aside. Don't get involved in that. God holds the constellation together. And finally, in this chapter, do you know the nature of clouds or toward the end you know the nature of clouds weather and human mind 34 back to uh, job 38 34 canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds that abundance of waters may cover thee can we make it rain canst thou send lightnings that are that they may go and say unto thee where we are here we are who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds of wisdom, or who can stay the bottles of heaven when the dust groweth into hardness and the clods cleave fast together? Send lightning. Now, one of the more remarkable discoveries, says Henry Morris, in modern engineering is that electrical currents may be used, like radio and television, to transmit information with lightning speed. Now, I'm guessing it's far greater with newer technology. I can't imagine what Henry Morris Jr. would think if he were alive today and see all the upgrades of informational technology in the phone you have in your lap. I'm holding up right here. We have an advanced computer system. It boggles my mind how they can make things so small and do so many things at once. But that's God's given mankind this wonderful intellect to do. But they certainly cannot compare with God's uh, making of everything. Finally, on, in 38, we find, do you understand and master the animal kingdom? Verse 39, wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion or fill the appetite of the young lions when they couch in their dens and aside the covert to lie in wait who provideth for the raven his food when his young ones cry unto God? They wonder for lack of meat. Job, can you provide for the young lions? Can you provide for the older lions? Job, how are you going to work all this together? I'm thinking of 603 Heberlin Road. It's hard for me to keep. I've got leaves that need to be mulched. I tell you, to keep everything in my little space of the universe here. Can you imagine having all of Greenwood County you have to get the leaves done for? Can you imagine all of Kentucky? You're responsible to keep all the leaves raked and mowed. Can you imagine for all of the uh, east of the Mississippi River? You're responsible for every home and family and get the yard street. We can't do that. Can you imagine upholding all things by the word of your power, Job? And well, we, just, we, uh, we even now we just stand back and say, Lord, you are you're awesome. We are your creatures. We acknowledge that. I acknowledge that wholeheartedly. So God questions Job regarding what he does not know. So there's the physical sciences, and then there also is the life sciences. God is the master designer. It's almost an examination of zoology, if you would, these next few verses. 39, verse 1, Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? 
Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? So regarding mountain goats, wild donkeys and wild oxen is the first part under chapter 39. Do you know about or master the wild mountain goat? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Verse 2, or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They, they bow themselves. They bring forth their young ones. They cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth and return not unto them. Job, do you care for all these animals? Isn't God's creation amazing? But how much, let me ask you, how much of God's creation have you actually seen? What about all the other planets? Plants? What about the rest of this planet? What about the highest mountain, Mount Everest? Have you been up on top of Mount Everest? By the way, it costs $10,000 just to get permit the guy to go up there. Have you ever been up there and see what grows up there? Or what grows in the depths of the deepest sea? Why did God make flowers to grow in the desert that no one sees? Because they were made for him. Everything isn't about us. Everything is about God. And so he's done all these things. Can you tell when the mountain goat gives birth? No, we, we don't know when that. I don't know. Maybe perhaps you study mountain goats. I have not. I don't know what, how long even they, they are with, with babies. I don't know. But Job did not know. Interestingly enough, the offspring of the mountain goat, unlike human infants that needs years to care for, can stand within minutes of birth and soon can gamble off, the author says, to thrive in the wild. Can you imagine if the baby mountain goat had to wait as long as six years, I don't know, toddling at one year and be able to care for themselves by the time they're 45? Can you imagine how many mountain goats would be alive by then? Okay, well, 35. But, 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 so God has designed it. We should just stand in awe that our God has designed things. Do you not, does your body not heal? Does the skin cover over when you get a cut? Yes, it does. But my body's not working right. How old are you? Are, you? are you past your prime? We start dying the moment we, God gives us life. Aren't you glad that this is the worst as it gets and we're going to a place no more headaches, no more back pain, no more sickness, no more... All those things are going to be a thing of the past. And every day we'll be like, man, we can't wait to serve God today. Won't that be amazing? It will. Secondly, in 5, do you know about the... Or master the wild donkey. I'm changing the name here for my sake. Who hath set out the wild donkey free? Or who hath loosed the bonds of the wild donkey? Whose house have I made the wilderness and, I bear, and the barren lands his dwelling? He scorneth the multitude of the city. Neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture. And he searcheth after every green thing. I'm thinking he does what he wants. Now if cats could be in the Bible... Isn't it funny? I don't find cats hardly anywhere in the Bible. Okay. Let's go right back to, get back on subject. Uh, the wild donkey can do whatever he wants to do. Job, can you tell the wild donkey what to do? And the answer is no. They, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the most, according to Smick, they're one of the most admired animals in the Old Testament world was the wild donkey. It was a compliment and a promise of an enviable freedom when the angel declared that Ishmael would become a wild donkey of a man. We thought, well, that's actually in that era, that culture, it wasn't a bad thing necessarily. The creature, is, uh, says Smick, was admired for both its freedom and its ability to survive under the harshest 
conditions. Job, can, can you dictate? Oh, we can't. Thirdly, do you know about the master or the unicorn? Actually, a wild ox, it would be. 39, 9. Will a unicorn, wild ox, be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind a unicorn with his band and in the furrow, or wilt thou harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great, or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? Is the wild ox going to be willing to serve you? Now, this is not the mythical, mystical unicorn that prances around and has wings sometimes and knows everything and sometimes can talk. And if you're really lucky, it'll let you hop on it and fly away. And all this. this is not Pegasus. This is a wild ox. It was only second, third only to the elephant. I want to say it again. The elephant, the hippo, and the wild ox. That's how big it was. It was, it was, uh, it was enormous in size. Became extinct in Europe about 1627 A.D. It was powerful. It was a hoofed beast. Huge. Can you imagine now? You're binding the wild ox and it's furrow with ropes, and, and you want to get up, wild ox, and it just like turns on you and runs you over as it runs away. Job, Job, can you handle the wild ox? A humorous picture of Job. Job, can you put that ox into that barn, gather it into that barn? And I found this. This is a devotional book uh, from Job. And this struck, struck me. Is all of nature wild then, except for man? No, perhaps the truth is really the reverse. While even the wildest animals obey their creator, human beings do not. The Apostle James, having observed that all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, adds the stinging sentence, but no man can tame the tongue. Homo sapiens, he means, is the wildest creature of all, yet with a wildness not of glory. But a sin. We think we are the cat's meow. No pun intended there. We're not. Even the wild ox lives within its bounds. I was looking online at the borders. If you've been on borders this week, they have a picture of a, a, a father elk. Beautiful picture. And a mother elk. And it's like they're looking off in the distance. Do you know that animals do what God designed them to do? There's no like... Ten different genders of animals. There's like, we know there's one. There's no disobedience of the animals. They know what they're supposed to do. Animals do what God has, and they're obedient. We are the surliest of all creations, I'm telling you. We humankind are the ones that rebel. We think we know something, and we've gone beyond God. Baloney on that. We are to surrender, and it's in the surrender we find the peace that passeth understanding. Regarding mountain goats, wild donkeys, and wild oxen. Secondly, regarding ostriches, horses, and hawks. Do you understand the ostrich, 39.13? Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? Which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them? She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth herself on high, she scorneth the horse and the rider. Now, ostriches can be five feet tall, can weigh up to 300 pounds. 
God sort of spoke regarding proudly waving her wings in a flightless ostrich. Perhaps Job could explain why a flightless bird has wings and why a winged creature cannot fly. Again, from the same book, a little paragraph. We find this is more than just a laughing matter. It also poses some rather profound questions in the world of animals. It is fine to give a creature feathers and wings and two legs like a bird and yet withhold from it the power of flight. But what about when God allows this sort of thing in a human being? What about the disabled child who will never learn to walk or perhaps never grow up at all? Do we laugh about this too? Or do we conclude that God is cruel? God has purposes. Why does the ostrich, now they are fast as you, I don't know how fast they run, but they run pretty fast. But why do they run, have wings and can't fly? It's interesting, God is perhaps the only humor in all of Job and all these chapters. Uh, someone said, is, is what, it is what, it is a silly bird because God made it so wide. The comical account suggests that amid the profusion of creatures, some were made to be useful to man, but some were just made for God's entertainment and ours. The platypus, I would probably put in that category as well, the duck-billed platypus. It is a remarkable uh, conflict for the evolutionist. The passage is remarkable in that it continues the first and only real humor in the book of Job. Leave it to God, forcing a smile out of Job at a time when the poor fellow has so intent on his misery. The ostrich, can you imagine, by the way, the ostrich, what seemingly cruel to her young, deprived, really derives from the practice of driving off the yearlings when the mating season arrives. She's driving them off so they go on their own lives. God has a purpose for the ostrich Perhaps it's like those flowers up in the mountains that no one sees but him for his pleasure. And God created us for his pleasure. It created mankind, I believe, for his pleasure. And really the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Short of Westminster Catechism. And when we miss that point, we've really missed it. We miss the purpose of our lives if we're not following God. Do you understand about the ostrich? Do you understand about the horse? 19 and forward. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? No and no. Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. By the way, that snorting of a horse, I don't know how they do that, but they do that. I'm not going to do it for you. But they snort really loud. He paweth in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him and the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, ha ha. And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. The horse is an amazing animal, is it not? Fearless. And how many people, how many, and it was uh, our, uh, Robert E. Lee, what was his name, the horse's name? If I remember his name. Traveler, Traveler thank you so much. And that, a lot of people would, they would, I mean, that's such a special thing. I, Dogs, I know a lot of people are very close to the dogs, but horses who's carried them through battle and so many troubles, and I know dogs can be the same way, if you especially have a, a, a canine with a police unit, they have this such a relationship. But Job, 
Did you give them the strength? Can you make such an animal, Job? Can you control him? Even the most well-broken and best-trained mount might break from the restraints of the, the most skilled rider so that even the one domesticated animal included in the list is not completely under the control of man. They are still a horse and yet to be under control. But how many human beings are out of control in comparison to horses? Just think about that. And finally... Do you understand the hawk and the eagle, 26 to the end? Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom, Job? Stretch her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth in the rock, and upon the crag of the rock, in a strong place. From thence she seeketh to pray, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck blood, and where the slain are, there she is. What is the answer? Four. Authority. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay thy, my, mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. What other response could he have given to that? What response? Mankind will, I can imagine these arrogant mankind will, Well, you know, it's pretty good, God, but look at me. What I, you've done nothing. That God has not allowed you to do. Job's response is a spot I trust that all of us would have. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand. That would do a lot of people a lot of good. Just lay your hand upon their mouth and be still. As my father in law used to so eloquently say, they just need to be still. Just be still. Interesting, uh, Chesterton writes that the way God describes all the fabulous creatures and praise them before Job, he makes each one seem like a monster walking in the sun. God's a master designer. We, we, we are astounded at God's creation. I trust you're astounded at God's creation. We should be astounded at the God who created them. It might seem that Job was being a little bit harsh with Job, but one must compare what Job said to Job with what Job's accusers thought God should say to Job. He did not come to judge Job even as a policeman. He came to Job as a teacher, a loving, winsome, vivid, powerful, humorous teacher that God once again with Job and they are together and that is enough for Job. And Job says, I cannot go any further. I will lay my hand on my mouth. God did not come with this hammer and the crushing blow. I think it is the belief, I'm thinking now, just trying to draw back from my memory that Allah there even is no promise. If you believe in Allah, you're going to go to paradise when you die. You're going to be judged by him. And he's such a God of anger. All these other gods are gods of anger. And Oh, it's interesting. They have characteristics of human. Now, I wonder who made these gods. Was it humans? Oh, humans made the gods just like themselves for the most part. The Greek myth, weren't, they, weren't the Greek gods where they, they would come down and they would... They would be with women, etc., and have children, etc., and they would be angry and they would kill because they were just made by the very people who had those very same traits. That's right. Our God is infinitely above us. Amen. Holy, righteous, all those things that we are not. I'm going to close with this. This is from the book called The, Pleasant, the Pleasures of God. Listen to this. I thought it was quite a salient. In distant deserts, Millions of flowers will bloom, blush with vivid colors, give off a sweet fragrance, and never be touched 
or seen or smelled by anybody but God. God, it seems, wanted Job to think about this very thing. Creation praises God by simply being what it was created to be in all its incredible variety. And since most of the creation is beyond the awareness of mankind in the reaches of space, in the heights of the mountains, at the bottom of the sea, it was not created merely to serve the purposes that have to do with us. It was created for the enjoyment of God. One of the tragedies of growing up is that we get used to things What a wonderful experience it is when God grants us a moment in which we don't take anything for granted, but see the world as though it was invented yesterday. We should pray for the eyes of children again when they saw everything for the first time. These are the eyes we need to see the unending wisdom of God running through all the world. It was like those two elk, and they were looking at... I know they weren't, but in my mind's eye, they were looking at God. And my, my thinking, that's what we should be. They were like bowing in spirit before. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be too. But that's the idea we should have. We, we should look at God every day as who he is. And every day fall in love with him. You see people and they get this, you see people get fired up about, we have some in our church who are fired up about God. It makes me, wow, you know, it calls us all, I'm telling you, it calls us all to examine our lives. Are we, do we have that desire that the other people who are really on fire, that first love, remember, you've left your first love? Amen. Pastor Tim, you've left your, I trust it's not sad. If it is, may we confess, may we repent, may we get that joy of the, do you remember the joy of, of Christmas, maybe you didn't have it, but I would come down, we had to wait for my mom, and we'd come down the steps there at the in Craft Creek, and we'd turn around and see the gifts in our eyes. I, I didn't see them because I was I know we don't have cameras. Our eyes would be like, wow, look what we got for Christmas, all those presents. Whoa. We have the greatest present of all. And I take it for granted. May God help us to get fired up this season, every season, every day. And serve him. He's the master designer. We just need to sometimes put our hand on our mouth and let him speak. Let's pray. Lord, I, this message is for me because I take so much for granted about who you are and who I am not. Lord, we just, he's recounting with Job all the things he has designed. Job, can you do it? Can you? Make, can you control? Can you give an answer for any of these things? And if it was me, I would have been yelling, No, I can't. Lord, please forgive me for my arrogance. Job said it so well, just I'm gonna put my hand over my mouth. Lord, help us to put our hands over our mouth sometimes and listen to the still small voice. So often we're so busy. We read our Bibles, we do our prayer, we hop up and get ready. I've got to, instead of stopping for a few moments now, Lord, what have I just read? And what is it you want to tell me today? Lord, may our have this relationship with you like never before. May we get on fire to know you that I may know him, Paul said, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, you are so great and we are so small. May we serve you with joy this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 23 in closing, please grab a hymn book. You will need the words, I believe. Same song as last week, I know.